Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, and welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. I know many of you have been looking for this podcast for the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about narcissistic relationships. We've been talking about abuse. We've been talking about toxic relationship patterns. And I know many of you have said, I'm not sure what a healthy relationship even looks like. I don't know what I'm trying to create. I know what I don't like in my relationship with my parents or what I don't like in my relationship with my significant other or with my kids, but I don't know what I want instead. I don't know what would be healthy. And so today I am bringing on my husband. Kevin's here with me today. Um, Kevin Hales is a licensed professional counselor. He works with marriages and couples. He is EFT trained, emotionally focused therapy trained. And we're actually just going to kind of have a conversation today about what makes a healthy relationship and some of the things that come up in his practice and some of the things that are probably coming up in your relationship as well. And we're going to be really honest that these things come up in our relationship too and how to kind of work through them and allow yourself to start creating a relationship that feels safe, that feels trusting, and where you get to be your full self. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Where's the, the the recorded applause? So <laughs> Right here. Right here's the recorded applause. So you and I have had some really great conversations in the car. I there, There's often times that I wish I could podcast record when we're in the car, but that would not be a great recording. But we've had some really great conversations about this in the car, and I've got a whole page here full of bullet points about some of the things we've talked about. So we're just going to kind of dive in and bring you along on a conversation that we would typically have at the dinner table or in the car about these kind of topics. Does that sound okay to you today? Mm -hmm. All right. So I think the first thing I want to start with is often because of the way romance movies are portrayed and because of the way we talk about love in our society, we often think that there is a perfect relationship that we're looking for a soulmate. And once we find the perfect person, then we're never going to have conflict and it's going to fix all of the attachment issues we had in our family of origin. Do you find that in your office as well? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I think there's this idea, this belief in the one, uh, you know, the, how would you call it? The soulmate, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this idea that that I need to find my soulmate and then everything is smooth sailing after that. And I can't remember if it was one of our college professors that proposed the idea that that a soulmate is something we find in another person and, and create together. We become each other's soulmates, not so much that we land in each other's laps as soulmates or something like that. Mm. So. I want to say it was Barlow that said that, actually. Maybe. Yeah, because yeah, that sounds familiar <clears throat> to me, too. We took a lot of the same college classes together. He converted me. 
into psychology. Before mm-hmm. that, I was a Spanish teaching major. And before that, I was a international business major. So we took a lot of the same classes and often together. So, um, yeah. So this idea that we're creating a relationship that feels good for both of us. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're not talking about finding the perfect person or even creating the perfect relationship because it's going to change as we continue to evolve and grow individually and as a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about is often we're looking for the formula that will create the perfect relationship. And there is no such formula. There's no quote unquote right way to have a healthy relationship. There's some like basic components that we're going to talk about today, but it's not like you do X and you do Y and you do Z and then out pops this perfectly healthy, safe relationship. Would you agree with that as well? Yeah, because a formula implies that there's one right way to do something, you Mm -hmm. know, and of course we're trying to move away from that black and white binary thinking that what is the right way to do this? What's the right type of relationship I should be having? And, and, and part of me wonders if that's maybe what listeners are getting hung up on is they've been able to identify the unhealthy parts, the, the parts they don't like and don't want to do anymore. And so what's the quote unquote right way to do this? Or what's the, you know, the healthy attachment or relationship and, um, and I think that's a very relative, subjective thing. Right, because right. it's going to be different for each of us. What feels really good and safe for me is going to be different than what feels really good and safe for you versus, you know, any of our friends or siblings or anyone out there. There's mm. as many people as there are in the world. There's that many different kinds of relationships. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay, so with that in mind, because last week we talked about certainty and holding space for uncertainty, because so many of us coming from high demand religion and even high demand family systems, we've been taught that there's a right way to do things. Mm -hmm. And so often we're looking to leave the old system because it doesn't feel right anymore. And we're looking for the next right system. So this is not a podcast about the right way to do this. This is just some ingredients to be aware of so that you can decide what feels good for you and start those conversations with the people you're in relationship with. Now, today, because Kevin often deals with couples, we're going to be coming at this from a romantic partner stance, but this is also useful when you're creating relationships with parents, siblings, friends, and anyone else. So, all right, well, let's hop in. So one of the first bullet points you and I were talking about when we were talking about what does a healthy relationship even look like, we started talking about equality. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how that when we're talking about two romantic partners or even an adult child with their adult parent, one person's feelings, desires, opinions can't have more weight than the other person's. And you brought up a great question. What does equality even mean? Because so often... um, I think we all have our own idea of what equality means, or it means like perfectly split and everything's the same for both people, but that's, that's, it's going to be different in every single relationship. So feel free to pipe up with your thoughts on equality. No, it's, and 
like you started off with, you know, there's a lot of myths and I think unhealthy expectations that we sometimes have in our head of what to expect. So I always, you know, refer back to that, that saying, happy wife, happy life, you know, and, and you see a lot of examples of that. I would say particularly in older couples, you know, cause I think that was a piece of advice that a lot of people really took seriously that I need to make my wife happy. And, and what's the other phrase? If mom ain't happy, no one, no one, ha- no one's happy. Or if something. mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right. And so this idea that everyone should be revolving around another person. Well, that's, that's probably not healthy, right? That's probably not um, a good scenario and situation. Generally speaking, being equals in a relationship means that we feel treated and seen and respected as an equal. Now, again, that term equal, um, I think will have different meanings for different people and in different relationships. But as long as we're both on board with that, as long as we're both okay with whatever that that is, then really no one, no one else outside of that relationship has any, has any right to say otherwise. Yeah. So when, when you're saying that the person feels okay with how things are going, I know that there have been people that I've coached and people that you have um, had in your, in your therapy room that maybe have been okay with the way things are going because it's what has always happened Mm -hmm. in their relationship and it's just what feels comfortable and it's what's normal. But they often feel unseen, unheard. Um, it feels like they're not allowed to express certain things. There's topics they have to tiptoe around. There's frustrations or resentments that they're holding that they don't feel at liberty to have discussions about and to have, you know, resolution conversations about those things. Would you say that that is an equal partnership or would you say that maybe there's some power dynamics there? Well, what you just said is kind of contradictory, right? If somebody says they're okay, but then they have a long list of things that they're not okay with, then they're not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so. I, I think maybe part of what you're you're getting at is sometimes yes, we either tell ourselves or other people tell us, "Oh yeah, I'm fine," or "You've got a great relationship," or something, and that's probably more likely them deceiving themselves right lying to themselves trying to trying to make it okay in their head because because we all do that to a certain extent mm-hmm. right you know there's there's something we were hoping for something we were looking forward to and it doesn't quite work out the way we wanted and so then we start entering into a you know self-convincing mode of oh well i didn't really want it that bad or well i guess it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. Right. And so we, we, we do that, you know, partly as a way to just kind of make ourselves okay with a certain situation, but there's often a point where we can't do that anymore, or I don't want to do it anymore, you Mm -hmm. know, or I've changed and grown and progressed and evolved and, and I'm not willing to do this anymore. And so at the end of the day, so take, for example, let's say you are looking at someone else in a relationship and you 
perceive their relationship to be unhealthy or dangerous or, or bad. And so the tendency sometimes is to kind of insert ourselves into that situation and try to convince the other person that they have to see it our way, that, that no, this isn't healthier. No, you're in a dangerous position. And, and maybe we're correct, right? Maybe, maybe we have some points to be made there, but trying to force that, trying to insert that into someone else's thinking is often going to have the opposite effect, right? Yeah. Don't, don't they call that the backfire effect when, you know, you're trying to convert or, you know, convince someone that their, their beliefs or views are are wrong. Yeah. Well, and I think everyone listening to this has seen this with family of origin or friends from high demand religion. When we deconstruct, we often get angry. We um, find out about harmful things that have happened and we almost become missionaries mm-hmm. for that, evangelists for that. And we often see people who maybe were more nuanced in our life or more open-minded turn around and then re-entrench, dig mm-hmm. their heels in mm-hmm. and become more devoted. And so it sounds like that same thing happens. If you're trying to tell someone your relationship is unhealthy, you know, or whatever, if you're trying to force someone to see things your way, mm-hmm then they're going to do the opposite often. Sure. And, and, you know, so then I think the dilemma for a lot of people is, well, if I can't, you know, tell them or convince them, then should I just keep silent? Right. You Mm -hmm. know, and I guess I won't say anything, but then of course we're not comfortable with that, particularly if it is a dangerous situation and, and we're worried about that person's safety. So, yeah, we, we, there, there's definitely a valid concern and, and point to be made there. And so I guess, you know, the, the short answer to, the, to that question is, well, again, in my mind, when we leave a cult and, and a fundamental religion or a set of beliefs, safety and security lies somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. in the uncertainty. And so, so when it comes to helping someone... <clears throat> You know, oftentimes, again, it comes down to, well, either I need to say something or I just need to keep silent. And I would say in this example, the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? We can still approach someone. We can gently, compassionately, softly suggest, hey, I'm concerned about something or, hey, I'm seeing something and I'm worried about you. But, hey, this is your relationship and, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do or I'm not trying to impose my my, you know, beliefs on you, just some things I'm noticing, take it for what it's worth, you know, so on and so forth. Right. It's, it's language that is ultimately letting the other person be their own boss. It's letting them be the authority of their own life and their own decisions while simultaneously, Hey, I'm saying something, I'm letting you know, I'm worried or concerned about this. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of, What you're really doing is it isn't so much about saying something or not saying something, but can I create a safe space that allows you to be you and allows me to be me where I can voice my concerns without forcing you to swallow them? Mm -hmm. Can I share the parts of me that I need to share in order for me to be whole and, you know, in alignment with my values of caring about you and wanting, you know, wanting you to know that I'm in your corner but not then superimposing what I feel like is healthy for you on you. Can I share that with you 
but then give you the autonomy to accept what you want to accept and reject what you want to reject without that meaning something about our relationship. It's actually interesting when we were talking, we were talking about the superimposing of our ideas of what is right and what is wrong on others. And a couple of things came up with that. You were talking about when someone has the final say if there's a problem Mm. and what that means about equality. So if there's a problem and you're both discussing, but one person has the final say, what, what can that look like in a relationship? And is that healthy or not? Yeah. I mean, I guess the answer to a lot of these scenarios and situations is it depends, right? You know, uh, that's often going to be, be the answer in a lot of these situations because every relationship is different. You know, I've worked with plenty of relationships where it's much more traditional, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the guy is the man of the house and therefore he has the final say. But then that, of course, gets tricky because, well, that means at the end of the day, your word is is law so to speak and for a lot of people that doesn't feel equal it doesn't feel fair and so 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 therein again i think lies the work that we all have to do on a personal level of am i really okay with this situation you know because i think there's a lot of women who do try to make themselves okay with you know the husband having the final word and saying they're okay with it, but maybe there's this inner turmoil and struggle of I'm not actually okay with this and I wish it were different, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they can say anything. They don't, you know, they feel wrong if they were to speak up. And so, so again, at the end of the day, a lot of it, I think, comes down to respecting where people are at with what they believe in this, you know, given situation, but always making ourselves available to them, letting them know, hey, well, you know, if if that ever changes or if something does come up and you do want to talk about it, I'm here for you. Yeah. If you're one of the people in these relationships where you feel like where there's unequal responsibility or there's unequal power dynamics, what would you say to the people who are uncomfortable with how things currently are? What steps could they take to begin to heal those inequalities and and to bring that up with a partner in a way that maybe it would be well received. Well, like like any person or group of people that are seeking change, I think the ideal is to bring it up in a respectful, peaceful way that, you know, lets the other person know that, hey, I'm I'm not okay with this or hey, I'd like something to change and then see how they react. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with someone having the final word, that person is used to having that power. Mm-hmm. And just like any, again, person or group of people who have traditionally been the empowered, you know, person or, or group of people, they don't willingly give that power up. And so, you know, I think it was Jane Fonda who said that, you know, we should be in a, a perpetual state of revolution both as individuals and as a society, because that's how you grow. That's how you progress. And so as we have seen from history, when again, a person or a group of people are fed up with not having their voice heard, not having things change, and they've tried that peaceful route, then that can sometimes erupt into something more violent or aggressive. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so, so that's what I often see in a lot of, you know, people who, you know, they've tried to make their voice heard. They've tried to, in this traditional situation, maybe they've gone to their husband and said, Hey, I'm not okay with this. Or, Hey, I don't want to do this. And, you know, he puts his f- foot down and says, well, you know, I'm the man of the house and this is the way it is. Then eventually who knows when, but eventually that, that woman is probably going to be done. Right. And maybe she says, well, I'm done. We're getting to divorce or she does something else that really shakes up the, the relationship and the marriage and, and then finally causes the, the one in power to, to finally acquiesce or be more reasonable or, or not. Mm-hmm. So again, it just depends. It just depends. Are there any things you would suggest to people if they're in those beginning stages of, I'd like to create change, whether it's with a romantic partner or with parents, for instance, mm-hmm. are there tools that you would suggest or are there things that they could utilize to make it more likely that they'll be heard and less likely that it will continue to devolve into this place of, like you said, violence or eruption? Well, again, it, uh, a lot of it, you know, that that peaceful approach, it's not necessarily guaranteed to work, but it's guaranteed to get some sort of a, a response, which will give you further information about how to proceed moving forward. Okay. So because, again, occasionally from time to time, you're going to find someone who is, is very approachable and, and, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you told me or I had no idea you felt that way. And then the change happens uh, in a relatively peaceful and, and, and productive way. But it's, it's, it's not so much that that peaceful approach initially is going to get you the change and the response you want. And, and maybe that's important to highlight because otherwise we might have unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. going into that kind of a conversation. The expectation should be more about however this person responds is going to tell me a lot. Mm, so it's more of an information gathering thing. So you're expressing what you want to see change or what your feelings are, what your desires are, what your boundaries are. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. And you're waiting to see how it's received mm-hmm. as more information about how you're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like an invitation of this is who I am and this is what I want. This is what's important to me and how the other person responds helps you figure out where you want to go from there. Is it a safe environment where that person cares about Mm -hmm. my feelings and Mm -hmm. how I'm experiencing life? Or is this a person that for whatever reason, because of abandonment issues or attachment issues or past trauma of their own, you know, is, is unwilling to acquiesce power is unwilling to empathize or acknowledge your feelings. And therefore you have to take a different route. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And what that different route will be is, is of course, again, dependent on the situation. So take a a minor who's still living at home with his parents Mm -hmm. and that person doesn't believe in, you know, their, their religion they've been raised with anymore. They're in kind of a tough situation because, you know, depending on the parents, they could risk getting kicked out, Mm -hmm. disowned from the family or just their life being made a, a living hell while, you know, remaining there at home for however many years they have to. Uh, and, and so they're kind of in a tough situation. Sometimes that teenager just has to suck it up, right? Mm-hmm. And they just have to hang in there and, and just basically remind themselves, well, I'm going to be gone here in the next couple of months or years or 
however long it is. Or maybe they don't say anything, right? They they continue to pretend they believe and they go along. But some people can do that better than others. Some mm -hmm. people just can't and they say, I'm not going to do this anymore. So again, it just depends. There's and, and again, there's no right answer about how to deal with these situations because it's very personal and, and it's unique to each of us. But then take a relationship where I'm the adult child and I'm trying to have a better relationship with my parents, right? That's a different situation because now I'm hopefully not living at home with them anymore and I'm living independent from them. And so therefore, I have more power in the sense that I don't have to to live under your roof and deal with your rules. And now, now what does that, you know, relationship look like? And then do they live in the same town and I see them on a frequent basis and they, you know, want to watch the kids or don't want to watch the kids versus they live out of state or, you know, across the country. And therefore I don't see them that often anyway. So it's, again, there's, there's a lot that's is dependent on the, on the situation and who the other person is that we're trying to have that relationship with. Now, if it's a spouse or a partner, then obviously that's a very different story mm -hmm. because we're living under the same roof and we see each other on a frequent basis. And that's not as easy to just dismiss or push aside because we're confronted and reminded of it uh, on a daily basis often. Yeah. Now, these are all great things to keep in mind that depending on our life situation and how often we see the person and how much we interact is going to change what we decide to do and how much of our story we decide to tell. And just, you know, it, it influences a whole bunch of different factors. Yeah. And, and I think we talked about this in some of our past podcasts together that the more emotionally invested I am in a relationship with someone, the more intense it is and the more um, important and vital it is to address and fix and, and to get better. Yeah. Because if you really matter to me and I want to be close to you, then it's going to be more important to talk about that is, you know, to find some sort of resolution and begin to work on those things yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that kind of brings us to our next point, which is that in order to have a healthy relationship, everyone involved needs to be able to freely express their feelings and their desires. And there are no feelings or desires that are off limits. Mm -hmm. So I know that in a lot of unhealthy family systems, there are certain feelings that either are off limits for everyone to experience mm -hmm. or only certain people in the relationship get to experience those feelings, but not the other people in the relationship. I'm guessing you see this also in your therapy room. Sure. So let's talk about what that dynamic looks like and how we can begin to like make it safer or at least begin to expand into everyone being able to express their feelings and desires. Well, it, so again, a lot of this goes back to, you know, some of our past podcasts together where we established the ground rule that all emotions are neutral. All emotions need to be felt. There are no good and bad emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and we've, we've, We've all been taught that our whole lives, that certain emotions are quote unquote positive and therefore good and other emotions are quote unquote negative and therefore bad and we shouldn't be feeling them. And the reality is we need to feel all of the emotions. We need to make space and room for all of the emotions, both for ourselves and other people. And so when it comes to a healthy relationship, then if somebody is feeling something, we have to 
be okay with that. Now, how that emotion is expressed, that's of course a whole nother story, you know, because nobody wants to be abused and we're not saying anyone has to put up with abuse, but we still need to make room for whatever the emotions are that we ourselves or other people are, are feeling. And so, for example, one of the families I'm meeting with, the, the wife, you know, recently said that, you know, when her daughter gets angry at her, I don't know what to do with this, right? I don't know what to do with her anger. I don't know how to respond to her anger. She, she basically just kind of becomes lost and confused and, and therefore doesn't say much of anything, which then just exacerbates uh, the feelings that the daughter is already having. And so, so that's, that's something the mom obviously needs to work on. How do I learn to better respond to her daughter's anger or in general, someone else's anger, or again, whatever that emotion is. Anger is, anger is one I think that often is hard to respond to because we often tend to respond to someone else's anger with our own anger. Mm -hmm. And then of course that just exacerbates things, you know, but just because somebody's angry doesn't mean we have to respond with anger. Uh, a common phrase you hear in therapy sometimes is we need to learn how to lean into the emotion, not away from it. Most of us lean away from emotion, especially if it's strong emotion, anger, or sadness or something, right? We can all think of times when, you know, somebody's sad or hurt and we're like, oh, geez, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And so we just kind of ignore it or pretend like it's not happening or the anger, of course, you know, that's, that's often easy to lean away from because it feels very strong and aggressive. And so leaning into, uh, emotion basically just means helping identify and validate what that person is feeling. Yeah. You know, so if somebody's really angry and they're yelling at me, instead of just yelling back, maybe I can go, Whoa, seems like you're really angry right now. You know, you're yelling at me. What's going on? Help me understand mm -hmm. this anger. Where is it coming from? What are you so angry about? And, and that takes a lot of emotional maturity to be able to lean into emotion more, more often than not, we, we all have a tendency to just react. Yeah. Well, and you brought up some really good points because first of all, I think anger, anger is usually a secondary emotion. It's usually covering some more tender feelings. Often it's abandonment, shame, fear. fear. And we get angry because we feel vulnerable and we need that kick to help us feel bigger mm -hmm. for a minute and feel like we can take care of ourselves because we're feeling small. We're, we're feeling unequal to the challenge. We're feeling ashamed and like we're not good enough. Or we may be worried underneath that shame even that someone will abandon us because we're not good enough. And when we can get to a place where we can hold space for someone else's anger and say, oh my goodness, I, I mean, you are angry. I can see how angry you are. Help me understand. I want to understand. And, you know, make space for them to feel anger and just say, you know, I'm here for it is so transformational. I've seen it in close relationships with family members. Um, I have a specific family member that, you know, was expressing anger about things that happened in our childhood and immediately felt shame because anger was not allowed in my household, but immediately felt shame and was like, you probably don't want to be around me. And I said, no, I'm, 
I want all of you. That includes your anger. That includes your hurt. That includes your trauma. That includes all the ugly bits. Those are all safe here. I just want to see you. I want to understand you. And that changed our complete relationship from that point on because it became a safe place where we still have some worries about how the other person's going to receive things that were not okay for us to express when we were growing up. And yet knowing that that's a possibility and that that's how I feel, like oh, it's just open this place where we both can express our big joyful feelings, but also our really tender shame feelings and sad feelings and fear feelings. And it's been an anxious feelings and it's been really, really bonding in such a short period of time. It's been beautiful. However, I want to make a caveat. We're going to touch on this a little bit later in the episode. That isn't possible unless we're doing what you said, which is doing our own work Mm -hmm. emotionally. Mm -hmm. I can't hold anyone else's anger unless I can hold my anger. Mm -hmm. I can't hold anyone else's shame unless I can hold my shame. Mm -hmm. I can't hold your fear unless I can hold my fear. And if I don't know what to do with my emotions, if I don't know how to hold those and make safe space for them, there's no way I can hold safe space for anyone else's big feelings Mm -hmm. because It's triggering the hell out of my own big feelings and my own fear of my own experiences because we have those mirror neurons. Your anger is going to spark my own emotional centers. And if I don't feel safe with me, there's no way I can make safe space for you. Right. Very true. Well, and one thing I would also add is that having these conversations about emotion can in and of itself be very triggering and can be a really hard conversation to have. You know, we're obviously making it sound a lot easier than it is, but to have that conversation, you know, even just, you know, what we both said, hey, it seems like you're really angry, or hey, you're really angry right now. Sometimes being accused of being angry will will trigger people's, you know, shame and and defensiveness. And so, so a lot of it, again, has to do with our own personal work, but a lot of it, I would also say, has to do with how we approach someone. So, Mm -hmm. for example, when I have people in my office, you know, so, for example, this uh, uh, adult daughter and her mom were in my session and and she was, it seemed like she was getting angry, right? Her, her, the speed of her speech was, you know, increasing, the, the, the volume of her speech was increasing. She was, you know, saying some very strong things towards her mom. And in fact, this is the mom that said, see, I don't know what to do with her anger. And so then I turned to the daughter and I said, so it seems like you're really angry right now. And she said, no, I'm not angry, you know, which surprised me because it sure seemed like it. And obviously mom was feeling it that way, but she said, no, I'm not angry. And so instead of combating her, instead of fighting her and say, well, yeah, you are, you're obviously angry. Look at what you're doing X, Y, and Z right now. Instead of combating her, I said, oh, okay, well, please help me understand, educate me here. It seemed like you were angry from my perspective, but if it's not anger, then what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And so that's, again, that's part of the, the work that we have to do. We have to be prepared to not have it quite right. Yep. Maybe I'm off on this. Maybe, maybe, you know, this is just my perspective or, Hey, this is how I'm seeing it, or this is how I'm experiencing it. We have to use a lot of language that communicates this idea that, Hey, I'm really curious and I really want to know what's going on or what you're feeling or where this is coming from. But at no point am I trying to tell you 
how to think or feel. At no point am I trying to preach to you or tell you you're wrong for what you're feeling or, or, or experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, and so going back to, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is, you know, what do healthy relationships and healthy attachments look like with other people? That's a big part of it. We have to get off our high horse and stop telling people what they're feeling and what they're thinking and what their intentions are, which all of us do when our defenses are up and when we're hurt and when we're scared. So it's, it's not, you know, this isn't just pointed at any, you know, any particular people. It's pointed at all of us. We all have a tendency to do that. And so we have to catch ourselves. We have to recognize when we do that. And, and I catch myself in, in my therapy room all the time, you know, some, you know, for example, in that situation, I think I probably did apologize. I'm like, Oh, sorry. It, it looked like you were angry, but okay. Apparently you're saying you're not. So please help me understand. Yeah. Well, and I like what you just did there. You caught yourself in the middle and I've done that in sessions with clients too, where they've been struggling to find the emotion that they're feeling. And I've said, it's, you know, it looks like you're feeling this and that reaction of don't tell me what to feel. Mm-hmm. It's a very visceral reaction, right. whether that's what you're feeling or not, to have somebody tell you what you're feeling. And especially for those of us who have come from high demand religions and families mm-hmm. and we're, you know, we're struggling so hard to find that autonomy to have somebody tell us this is what you're feeling can feel very, very triggering. So what you did there as the listener of I'm so sorry, that's what it seemed like help me understand. And just being able to communicate, I want to understand you. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to know you. And I'm willing to be wrong and uncertain in this space with you so that we can, you know, explore and discover who you are. Because a lot of us who are deconstructing, we're still getting to know ourselves. And maybe even those of us who aren't deconstructing, we're still getting to know ourselves. And we may need some space to not know for certain what we're feeling and to be able to discover and explain that and have somebody actively listen to us and mirror back what they heard Mm -hmm. to have somebody say, okay, so you just said this and this is what this means to me. Did I hear that right? Is that what it means to you too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a powerful, powerful tool that we can use in order to really get close to one another and create safe space. Yeah. Yeah, because again, more often than not, we are used to being surrounded by people, particularly again, when we're coming from a cult or a, you know, high demand religion that, that we are used to having people tell us what to think, what to feel and, and what to say and how to act. And, you know, basically we're coming from a very controlling environment. So it's natural and it's understandable that we will swing that pendulum to the opposite extreme Mm -hmm. and push back you know, against somebody who, who either is trying to tell us what we're thinking or feeling, or it just feels like they're trying to tell us what they're thinking and feeling. Maybe they're not really trying to, but that's how we might react. Mm, You just hit on something I think is really important there too, which is that so often we project Mm -hmm. our own, our own viewpoints, our own bias, our own insecurities insecurities on other people and we assume that they are telling us what to do or controlling us because it's our wound it's we have a wound there Mm -hmm. and just noticing when we get triggered in that way Mm -hmm. and getting curious with ourselves so not just curious with the other person but if we feel ourselves feeling triggered Mm -hmm. or angry or defensive Mm -hmm. or like you know you can't tell me what to do allowing ourselves to get curious with that and say you know 
what was that about? Like, what wound is that coming from? And to validate how we're reacting. That's, that's where a lot of the shame comes from is because we beat ourselves up over like, ah, I'm getting defensive again. Ah, I got angry again, or I'm yelling at my kids or whatever. You know, we, we beat ourselves up so quickly and guess what? Now we've just lost the opportunity to really get curious and explore where that's coming from. Yeah. So, you know, and I, and I, I know I've said this in some of our past podcasts, but we have to remember that we as human beings, generally speaking, we as human beings are not sucking on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so if I do something I'm not proud of, if I do something I, I'm trying to diminish or, you know, reduce or, or something, we have to be kind to ourselves. We have to, to go, oh my gosh, I got really angry there. I'm not sure why I got angry, but you know what? I'm not sucking on purpose, right? I, you know, we feel what we feel as human beings. It's, I'm not choosing, you know, per se to get angry and yell at my kids right now. It's, it's that there's something there. I need to explore that, but I'm not a bad person for yelling. I'm not a bad person for feeling this. Mm -hmm. This is just part of the, the growth process. And, and when we really have to remind ourselves of that, we really, yeah, maybe a lot of us aren't going to believe that initially, but like any good habit or practice, we have to do it over and over and over again, because that's, that's really, um, what is, is more true, uh, than what we've probably been taught in the past. Yeah. When we're creating new neural pathways, it mm-hmm. takes time to carve out those pathways and mm-hmm. to really get those neurons to fire together. They're so used to going the way that they've always gone. And so giving ourselves time and grace and patience as we build those new neural pathways and those new habits. Well, and I already know I have a couple of moms that are listening to this that are going to say, but if I'm too gentle with myself, people who've had narcissistic parents who don't take ownership of harm that they've caused will say, but if I'm too gentle with myself, what if I don't apologize for things? What if I don't validate my kids' feelings? What if, and I think we need to address that beating ourselves up isn't accountability, that you can be gentle with yourself and accountable to whoever it is that you harmed by yelling at them, Mm -hmm. whoever it is you harmed by, you know, losing your crap or projecting things onto them. You can be accountable and kind to yourself. It's not either or. You Mm -hmm. can do both. Right. So I think that's so important because we're coming off of a bunch of conversations about narcissism and a big fear for a lot of listeners who have come from narcissistic families or narcissistic um, like relationships with narcissists as as lovers or as spouses is this idea of I don't want to be like the narcissist who never took accountability and didn't understand the harm and being gentle with yourself isn't the same as not acknowledging the harm. In fact, you're more likely to acknowledge the harm if you can be gentle with yourself because you're not defending, you're not feeling all this shame that you feel like you need to defend yourself against. And remember, narcissism is driven by shame. It's driven by this sense of not enoughness. You can't look at the ways that you have been hurtful. So when you're kind and gentle with yourself, you're more able to look at how you've been hurtful because you're willing to see yourself with compassion that allows you to see yourself more clearly and then be more accountable to those that you're hurting. Well, if if you think about it, that really is the opposite of narcissism is being kind to yourself Mm -hmm. because a narcissist isn't kind to Mm themselves. Yes. They're all up in their own business. It's all about them all the time, but it's not because they're kind to themselves or they love themselves or think highly of themselves. It's, it's actually just the opposite. And so to be kind to ourselves, to be compassionate with ourselves, 
is the very opposite of narcissism. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's such a good point. So I think one of the next points we need to hit is flexibility. Part of healthy relationships is understanding that you're going to evolve, I'm going to evolve, and that our relationship when we first meet is going to look different than our relationship several years from now or several decades from now. And making safe spaces for us to learn, to grow, to evolve, to be individuals who still attach and care about one another and are there for each other, but we still have individual identities Mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk about what that looks like with marriages in your therapy room and, you know, any insights? Yeah. Yeah, I remember, you know, one of our professors in college talking about how we needed to be whole individuals. We needed to be happy, healthy, mature individuals so that we could have a happy, healthy, mature relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And I think we often are operating from this idea that, again, going back to the soulmate or finding your match or whatever, there's this idea that we're incomplete Yes, as individuals and that you are my quote unquote, better half, or you're my other half, or like Tom Cruise says, you know, you complete me, right? Mm, You know, it's this, it's a warm, fuzzy line. And I'm not going to say it's totally wrong or bad, but it's also, I think it's incomplete. It's not sufficient to what's actually happening. Uh, Again, it's not, in fact, I'm always telling my clients that it is not your job to make your spouse happy. Mm-hmm. It's not your job to make anyone else happy because trying to make someone else happy, number one, it's not our responsibility, but number two, we ultimately don't really know what that person wants or needs for happiness. And that's their responsibility. That's their job to figure it out. But at the end of the day, in a healthy partnership, I heard somebody say one time that one plus one equals three. And the idea behind that is one plus one, two individuals, two happy, complete individuals can come together and their love, their, their flexibility, right? Their healthiness can enhance what they've already got. Yeah. It enhances what they already have individually and it makes it that much more. Mm. I love that idea. Well, it's funny that you brought up the two halves making a whole Mm -hmm. um, because that's an ancient Greek uh, myth. And I can't remember. It's like an ancient Greek philosophical idea. Um, It comes from mythology. And I am killing myself that I can't remember what the actual story is. I'm a I love Greek mythology. I have since like I was 10. But the idea was that humans were too powerful. The gods didn't like that humans were too powerful. So they broke them into two halves and they were doomed to wander the earth looking for their other half. It's where the whole idea of a soulmate comes from. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea that we're incomplete as single people, which Mm -hmm. is a very harmful idea Mm -hmm. and that we need another person to complete us or fix us. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we need someone else to complete us or validate our existence or make us whole leads to a lot of codependency, which we're going to be talking about next week. But I I love this idea of one plus one equals three because you get to retain your individualness. Those two are still there, but you're creating this whole entity together. This this thing that is fueled by 
both of you being safe to be completely individual fuels this like third entity that enhances both of your lives. Right. So one of you isn't swallowing up the other and you guys aren't merging your identities into one other entity. It's not like this half and this half are becoming this one whole other thing. You retain your individuality and you create this third entity that kind of envelops you both and allows, like, just enhances your experience. That really excites me because I think that's what so many of us want. We want to feel like we get to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. I get to remain Terry. You get to remain Kevin. That means you get to have your own set of beliefs. They don't have to be the same as mine. You get to retain your own personality. It doesn't have to be the same as mine. You don't have to want to go out as often as I want to go out. I don't have to want to stay home as often as you want to stay home. You can believe you know, in whatever deity or non-deity you want to believe in, and I can believe something different. We don't have to be the same in order to be connected and deeply know each other and want wonderful, good things for each other and to want to support each other. And I think something else that you brought up was this idea of, I can't make you happy mm -hmm. because I'm not inside of you. I can't read what's going on with you. It's your job to decide this is what makes me happy and to communicate that to me. If you need support, mm -hmm. if you're like, I really need a day alone at home. Can we arrange that? I need that for my health and my happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. We can do that. Or me, I need a hug. I need touch right now to mm -hmm. feel happy and asking for that, not expecting you to read my mind and you not expecting me to read your mind, but us being completely responsible for our needs and our happiness and then communicating what we need to communicate in order to get those needs met without feeling like we're being a burden, mm -hmm. which is really common for people coming from codependent families without feeling like we're asking for too much and without feeling like we're not worthy of receiving those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I would piggyback on what you just said there. Yes, we all need to be better about communicating what we need. But a lot of that, again, begins with us. Do mm. I even know what I need? Mm. And, yeah. and therein lies part of the problem, right? Because maybe we're assuming someone knows what I need or or they should, you know, do certain things or say certain things for us. But again, maybe I'm not even fully aware of what I do need and therefore I need to be better about communicating that. Now, I would also say there's another half to that equation where we should do better to try and anticipate each other's mm -hmm. needs, right? We don't want to be asking all the time over and over again for you to do certain things or say certain things. We want to, because that's ultimately what helps me feel loved and important is that you're anticipating my needs. You, you know, bringing me a flower because I love flowers shows that you're thinking of me or you coming over and giving me a back rub without me having to ask for one is, is, is showing me that you were thinking about me and so on and so forth. So trying to anticipate those needs, there is a place for that. Yes. And we should try to do better to anticipate those needs. But at the end of the day, if there's something I really need, you know, like you, you, you'll come to me sometimes you're like, I've got a really bad kink in my back. Can you rub this for me? And, and of course I will, because you're coming to me and you're letting me know what you need right there in mm -hmm. that moment. 
But um, yeah, so it's a little of both, right? Yeah. We, we need to try and anticipate, but we're not mind readers at the end of the day. And so we need to do better about letting someone know. But therein, you know, is where we sometimes get stuck because maybe I feel like I've been letting you know hundreds of times, you know, over however many years of, of, of our relationship and you're still not meeting me there. You're still not willing to do that for me. Then that is something we have to sit down and be honest with ourselves. You know, is this something that's a deal breaker? Yeah. Maybe it is. And maybe I need to move on, but maybe not. Maybe it's one of those things I can just learn to do without. Yeah. And I think another part of that, cause it, that's like, that's a boundary that we're talking about. Mm. I need this to feel safe and loved in the relationship. And we can communicate that to people. I think sometimes we don't communicate clearly. We do a passive aggressive thing. Either we do that for the other person all the time, expecting them to be like, oh, this is what they would like in return. And we think that that's the right way to love. We were kind of talking about this in the car the other night where sometimes we're like, this is how you show love. Because in your family of origin or for whatever reason you picked up, this is how you show love. You're doing that for the other person and they don't return it because it doesn't matter to them the mm -hmm. way it matters to mm -hmm. you. So they're like, I mean, that's like mildly nice or it might be annoying or frustrating or angering. And so they're not doing it to you because they're receiving it differently than you would receive it. And we think we're communicating it clearly, but we're not communicating it clearly because they don't know that that's important. And so having those conversations, like you said, maybe sitting with ourselves and saying, is this a deal breaker? And have I communicated it clearly mm -hmm. in the past? Have mm -hmm. I let them know this isn't, like, this is really important to me. Right. This needs to happen. Is this something you're willing to give me? Or is this something I need to find on my own somewhere else? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, those are hard conversations to have and, and yet necessary ones because, again, at the end of the day, we, you know, I'm thinking back to that line from Tom Cruise, you complete me. Maybe the the healthier phrase is you enhance me, mm. right? In fact, we started several years ago changing some of the things we said to each other. So, you know, there there would be times when we would say, I need you in my life or you know, if, if I didn't have you in my life, I don't know what I would do or the, these ideas, these concepts that without you in my life, everything would fall apart or and, I am nothing or that I'm nothing without you. You know, the, there, again, there's all these little phrases and things that we sometimes say that communicate again, that codependency, this idea that, that I have to have you in my life. I need you. And we stopped saying that. Mm -hmm. We stopped saying that we stopped, you know, we started saying things more along the lines of life would be hell without you, or I would be lost for a time, you know, but I would finally get back on my feet or, you know, something along those lines. It, it communicates that I really, really still want you in my life, but I guess I don't technically need you because mm -hmm. a need is it, it, like in my mind when i think of a need that is like something you have to have or you're dead yeah food water you know uh, shelter some of these things are we could argue are definitely necessities but would i survive without you definitely but would i hate it, it yeah yeah but it would be really hard and 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 it and it's hard to even imagine right but that's and and this is this is what it means to be honest with ourselves. We have to talk about these hard things, not because we want it to happen, uh, not because we desire it, but because that actually makes it so that we better appreciate 
and do give more of our time and attention to the things that really matter. Well, and I think it helps us confront our fear of what we would do. Mm -hmm. It helps us feel more empowered and powerful in our relationships of what would I do if, you know, heaven forbid something were to happen to you? Mm -hmm. What would I do if I end up with Alzheimer's or you end up in the hospital or one of us dies in a car accident? Like, I think those are huge fears that many of us carry in our relationships Mm -hmm. and being able to say, I love having you in my life. And if I were ever to have to live without you, it would be so difficult. I know I would make it, but I would miss you so much. Mm -hmm. I think allows us to keep our power and communicate to other people. You are so important to me and you are a big part of my life. And I love having you here. Life is better with you here. I actually think it enhances the message of of love and and appreciation for someone because now I'm not in this relationship because I made vows. I'm not in this relationship because I need you. I'm in this relationship because I want to be. Mm -hmm. I choose you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more power to that. Yeah. That was a really difficult concept for me to grasp a hold of. The first time we talked about it, I don't remember when we first talked about that, but it was years ago, I don't remember. Yeah. I want to say we were still at BYU if I'm remembering right in our like second apartment, but I remember asking you if you would ever divorce me and you couldn't definitively promise that you would never divorce me because you didn't know what life was going to hold. And oh my gosh, my abandonment issues kicked up big time. Mm-hmm. I was super triggered. I think I cried. Yeah. Not just that day, but like every time I would think about it for days after that. And I remember, you know, even before understanding emotions or sitting with it, I'm kind of tearing up now just for that girl that I was and how terrified mm-hmm. I was of being abandoned again. Yeah. And I remember you sitting down with me and, and really explaining because I had been, you know, so distraught about this that you wanted me in your life. And you didn't foresee that changing, but you couldn't tell the future. And so you couldn't promise something because you didn't know what the future would hold. And I think that's really when things kind of started to change for us from codependency into more of a healthy interdependency was realizing I have to take care of my needs. Yeah, I don't I don't really remember that that conversation, but I do remember and it may have been around that same time. I think you had brought up this this particular point, right? That one of your biggest fears was that I would one day wake up and realize what I had married and run away screaming. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and back then, you know, I was much less emotionally flexible and, and mature. And therefore, I took it personally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I basically made it about me. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that in my mind... You know, I think I was probably saying something along the lines of, you know, isn't it obvious that we've been married for X number of years now? Haven't I proven to you that I'm not going anywhere? Right. And and so it's hard not to be offended. It's hard not to take something personal when something is brought to your attention. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what makes these these discussions and these conversations so difficult is we do take it personally and it's hard not to. But the reality is, and, and and I guess maybe this is a good segue into, you know, one of the, the big signs of a, a healthy relationship is allowing you to feel what you feel and 
me being able to feel with you in that emotion and to not make it about me. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the hardest things we ever have to do in our relationships with people is stop making it about me. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we all have different variations of what that looks like. You know, maybe I, you know, in that case, you know, you bringing to my attention that one of your biggest fears is me leaving you someday because, you know, again, I, I, I realize who or what you are or something and what happens. I make it about me, mm -hmm. right? I make it about me because I'm offended that my loyalty, my commitment hasn't basically done away with your fears and insecurities, which, you know, at the time, I don't think I quite could grasp what exactly was happening there, but that's basically, I think what a lot of us are thinking, you know, that I'm going to somehow fix you, or I'm going to somehow make things perfect for you. Or, or again, that, that myth of, I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to make you healthy. I'm going to make you, you know, whatever. And we don't, comprehend just how deep those emotional wounds and trauma and neglect and abandonment go in all of us. And so me being in a relationship with you triggered those fears and insecurities, but it wasn't necessarily my fault. Mm -hmm. And so again, being able to separate those things is, is really important. And it's not necessarily my responsibility to fix it either. It's to simply be present with you emotionally to allow you to feel what you feel and not make it about me, mm -hmm. right? Um, you and I can think of dozens of people in our lives where, you know, you try to share something with them and immediately it's all about them, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they, they hijack the, the conversation and, and now it's all about how it's affecting them or what they think or what they feel about this. And so it's, it's really hard. It's really difficult to learn how to allow people to have their own thoughts, feelings, perceptions, opinions, ideas, and not have that feel threatening to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think so often at the root of that, when it feels threatening is shame. Because when I was telling you, I'm worried about being abandoned, you were hearing, I'm not enough. Right. I haven't done enough. Right. You think I'm not enough. Right. And I think when we hijack the conversation, Really, it's usually fear or shame driving the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But again, it's hard to recognize that. You know, one of my couples the other day were arguing because one of the ways she shows love and therefore expects love to be shown to her is, let's, let's say someone were talking bad about her husband. She would jump in and say, hey, you know, she would basically speak up and she would say something. Because that's her way of showing support and showing love for someone. Now, the dilemma in their relationship is <clears throat> when something is happening to her, you know, when someone is bad talking to her, the husband doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't speak up. And that's partly because he's just kind of a conflict avoidant person. He's like, I don't want to get involved or, you know, I, I don't want to argue. And so he removes himself from the situation or he doesn't say much of anything. And so... For her, that feels like he doesn't care. That For her, that feels like I'm not important to you. If you really loved me, you would jump in and you would say something. You would do something. And, and of course, he's offended by that because, you know, he's like, no, I do care about you, but I'm just not going to do this, right? This isn't my idea. And so, again, this is, this is her making it about her. Because she's insisting he has to do it 
her way. Mm. And rather than respecting and recognizing that he loves me, he shows me in all these other ways. And just because he's not doing it in this one specific way doesn't mean he doesn't love me or or care about Mm -hmm. me. Well, and I'm wondering something that that's bringing up for me is what is the difference between communicating boundaries of I need this in order to feel safe Mm -hmm. versus this is all about me. Mm-hmm. Is there like is there an overlap there, or are those two different things? Well, it's I, I, I guess again, it's often dependent on the situation. Um, in in this situation, you know, it's it's okay for her to want him to speak up and to do something to show her that he loves her, but is she trying to force him to do it her way, mm. or can again can she respect the fact that maybe? That's just not his style or that's not Mm -hmm. his personality. But again, maybe it is, right? Maybe it is a deal breaker for her. Yeah. And that gets to be okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's not wrong to to have certain needs and 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 things that are really, really important to me. And so if 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 it's a deal breaker, then only she can answer that question. Yeah. And if it's a deal breaker and he's not willing or able to do that, then she's not wrong for feeling that she's not wrong for walking away. She's not wrong for ending things if it, if it came to that, but, but maybe it's not, maybe mm-hmm. it's not a deal breaker. And therefore she has to wrestle with the idea of, okay, well, what does this look like moving forward if this doesn't happen? Well, and also maybe even sitting with, why do I feel like I need someone to protect me? Why do I not feel like I could protect myself or, what does this mean for me? What's the underlying belief when mm-hmm. someone stands up and protects me? Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a big question I get from people a lot is when am I bullying someone? When am I trying to control or manipulate someone and make it all about me? And when is it just like a boundary? Mm-hmm. When is that okay? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really blurry for a lot of people. So you're sure. saying the words actually don't change. I would like you to stand up for me. Mm-hmm. But... It depends on whether that's a deal breaker for her or not, whether it's a like, I need this or otherwise I, you know, I can't be in this relationship. I don't feel safe here mm-hmm. unless you do that versus this is how I show love and this is how you should show love. Mm-hmm. And then realizing, oh, actually, you show me love in a whole bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, or she may have several different things that mean love for her and he's doing 90 percent of them, but just not this 10 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that brings me to one other point that actually has come up for me a couple of times in our conversation, which is, I think sometimes we've been conditioned to expect 100% from our spouse, that 100% of our needs will be met by our romantic partner. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to those who are expecting a romantic partner or a parent to meet 100% of their needs? Yeah, or it doesn't really matter who it is. There is no such thing as a person that meets all of our needs. And and again, maybe that feeds into that, that myth of having a soul mate, you mm-hmm. know, somebody that's going to meet all your needs. That's probably rare or non-existent mm-hmm. to have someone who can do that more often than not. We're going to have lots of people who meet different needs for us. Yeah. Well, and I've been toying with this idea too, that if somebody is meeting a hundred percent of our needs, if we're overlapping perfectly, then there's codependency going on right? because we no longer have individuality Right. that you're going to have overlap in any relationship, but there's going to be pieces of you that hang off the edges, right? pieces of them that hang off the edges where you don't line up. 
And I think sometimes we get really caught up on those pieces that are hanging off the edges where we don't line up, whether it's a belief in God, whether it's um, the way we parent the children, whether it's who's the extrovert and who's the introvert, um, you know, all of those different things. We get caught up on those pieces that are on the edges instead of the pieces where we overlap without realizing those pieces on the edges are actually part of a healthy relationship where we don't match up. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the deal breakers. Those are the places where we need to line up and everything else. We get to be individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get to love and respect and get curious about those pieces that are so different from us. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing I really wanted to talk about before we kind of wrap up for today is how self-worth plays into this, the work we need to do with ourselves in order to be in healthy relationships. Because the more I study about codependency and narcissism, really what's coming up is as long as I'm not okay with me, I'm going to superimpose that onto you. Either in the scapegoat role as a child or the golden child, or I'm going to manipulate you in some way or another in order to get my needs met because I'm not willing to look at and heal myself. So as long as I'm not willing to do the work for myself, I'm basically going to gift wrap that and give it to you and be like, here, here's your work that I'm unwilling to do. And that's when we get into some of the unhealthy relationship dynamics. Yeah. 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 We, we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier about how we do have that tendency to project and put that shame and fear and pain on other people. And so if we're not doing that work for ourselves, then it makes it difficult to have that healthy relationship with someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were talking about how you can't hold other people's feelings. If you can't hold your own, you can't have compassion or empathy. I don't think for other people, unless you have that compassion and empathy for yourself. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, if, if I'm not kind to myself when I screw up or if I'm not, you know, giving my, myself space to mess up or to feel what I'm feeling, then how am I going to do that for other people? It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Yeah. Brene Brown says you can't give to someone what you don't have yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like you want to talk about before we wrap up for today or? I feel like we've touched on, on most of them. I, uh, I'm sure other points will come to me later, but, but I, I feel like we've, we've touched on a lot of those parts about what make a relationship, you know, healthy. Um, and again, I, that word healthy doesn't mean it's not synonymous with right, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, every relationship is going to be a little bit different. And so, so we have to both be willing to explore that. And I guess going back to what you were saying earlier about how we do change and we do need to be flexible. I think we've, we've shared that quote in the past, you know, in some of our other podcasts that all of us get married multiple times in our life and sometimes just to the same person. Now, that was, you know, the quote was specifically referring to to marriage, but that of course doesn't. It's not just marriage. Yeah, it's not meant to minimize uh, other relationships. You know, whether that's a uh, a partnership or with a a child or a parent or a sibling. Yeah. Uh, the point is that relationships change over time. People change over time. You know, mm-hmm. all of us get married, or another way of saying that is, all of us you know, go through multiple relationships, 
uh, and sometimes it's to the same person. In other words, change is is inevitable, whether we like it or not. You know, some of us don't really like change, but change is just part of living. It's part of life. Uh, as we get older, as we go through trauma, as we go through pain and loss and and all sorts of things, it's going to change us. And therefore, we have to be flexible. We have to be willing to adapt to that, both on a personal level and, you know, if I have a partner or a spouse, I have to expect and realize that that person's going to change too. And then if we stay together, then that means we have to constantly be evaluating and adapting and and working with those changes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I could say that any better than you just did. So... With those thoughts, I think we're going to wrap up for this week. If you're wanting more to listen to on this topic, Kevin and I did a whole series on conflict in relationships last February. So you can go back to last year. There are lots of different, I think we have four different episodes. Is that what we did last year? I believe it was four episodes in, yeah, in in February. So it was about yeah. a year ago, exactly. We were talking all about love and relationships last February. So there are some wonderful tools that Kevin presented in those podcasts. If you want to talk more about romantic relationships, but the conflict resolution and all of that, so important for all relationships. I also have a podcast that I've done on boundaries, which can be really helpful, as well as one on building trust. So if any of those are things that you are wanting to explore more in depth, go check out those podcasts. And in the Facebook group, we are continuing discussions about narcissistic abuse and narcissistic family relationships. We actually just discussed the scapegoat role in narcissistic families this past week, and we will be discussing golden children this upcoming week. So if you want to be a part of those conversations, if those are dynamics that have been happening in your family, we'd love to have you there. And we will be talking more about healthy relationships this upcoming week and the difference between codependency and interdependency and really just trying to create a visual for you of what a healthy relationship looks like because we can't create something that we've never seen before. And for many of us, we've not seen healthy relationships in depth before. So kind of having a target to aim at and a goal to work towards can be really, really helpful. Kevin, thank you so much for coming all this way to podcast with me. Our closet is much more wonderful with you in it. That's why you pay me the big bucks. <laughs> I don't pay you any bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.